0: Welcome aboard to this episode of Three Levels Deep, where we go deeper and deeper into interesting topics that you're going to spend time listening about. I'm yeah, Sean.
1: Who the fuck was, who the
2: fuck was that? <laughs> I'm Sean. He returns. So, sorry, sorry. Are, are you on the right podcast there? I, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah <laughs> uh, I, I don't I don't think we've met before Sean nice to meet you. <laughs> I'm Matt.
2: Uh, and I'm Santo. And I'm Alex. Yeah so today uh we've got a bit of a grab bag podcast. Uh we're going to talk about some stuff we've been playing. Uh there's a new Monster Rancher game Santo's going to share share with us. He's cringing.
3: Uh well great. See, this is what happens when we're when we can see each other.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: Get all this it's, body language going.
2: All this body language. Yeah, that the that the viewer doesn't get. That's why we need the commentary. Yeah, we're here for you, viewer. Viewer, that's viewing this audio recording. You can see the lines. Uh, yeah,
3: but that's not the only game I I want to talk about. Uh, I also want to talk about Vampire Survivors because uh, I started playing that since it went 1.0. And I've spent like 35 hours in it, so it's good.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: Um, yeah, it's like, uh, it's not really a twin stick shooter because you only use one stick or the arrow keys. Uh, you don't choose which direction you shoot. Uh, some of your weapons shoot in the direction you're facing, but most of them just kind of have some kind of logic to them where they'll either shoot in a random direction or at the closest enemy or at everything in a certain area around you so it's kind of more uh of a passive it's avo- experience
2: it's, a, it's an avoidance stick shooter <laughs>
3: uh, up until your build gets insane and then you're just running at the enemies uh but yeah. it it's really really good um yeah it's no surprise go- to me that this game blew up
2: the way yeah, it did. it's got it's got it's got some it's got some real uh some real discount art assets but sometimes that's not what they look really good i think i i like the art um anyway i've also uh i'm going to talk a bit about uh, shotgun king a bit later uh very inspired very inspired chess game
0: (laughs) to continue the theme of chess i'm going to talk about regular chess (laughs) and the crazy variants that come
2: with it (laughs) are you just making this up on the spot sean no,
1: I have a list. <laughs> I'm going to be talking about Save Room, Organization Puzzle. Save
3: Room? Yep. Organiz- okay, is that just like two different like Resident Evil references right there? <laughs> um, it's, it's basically
1: Resident Evil 4 At- Attach a Case Puzzle Game
3: yeah okay
1: <laughs> fit everything into the attaché case
0: nice oh this is glorious i'm looking forward to it guys
3: yeah so yeah you know matt why don't you uh start then with that
0: all right um yeah
1: so uh it's it's not like your typical attach a case where you've got the full thing like it'll give you a limited amount of squares to work with and you got to fit everything in there Um, there's 40 different stages. I blew through it in, like, about an hour and a half. Um, Mm -hmm. really fun, though. Um, you have... So, it introduces a bunch of mechanics as you go on. Like, in some cases, you have to make sure all the weapons are reloaded. Uh, so you'll have to make sure you put the ammo into them. Uh, in other situations, you have to make sure you're at full health. So there will be some healing items to use. But in some cases, there's healing items to use, but you're at full health. So there's actually some rotten items in there you can eat to take damage to then use (laughs) the healing items. Oh, that's pretty funny. (laughs) And it uh, it, it mechanically, like the last level, it like it takes a bit of everything you've learned. And just it's a really good use of uh, everything you've picked up on throughout the game. It's just a really simple concept executed very well and it's only like a couple bucks on
3: Steam. Nice. Yeah. Uh, on a, Another game that I've played a little bit of uh, that is quite similar is called Cats Organized Neatly uh, <laughs> which is just a bunch of cats that look like you know various Tetris pieces and bigger than Tetris pieces like Tangram kind of stuff that you just rotate and try and Place around and they all meow. And there's a sequel called Dogs Organize Neatly as well. Oh.
2: <laughs> so if you're Might a cat person or a
3: dog person, you know, there's, I'm there's... both of those. And G-9 like
2: to organize. I mean, Cats Organize Neatly, definitely. Somebody went pretty hard either uh, recording or going doing a deep dive on selection of all of the cat sounds they could find. <laughs> It's very, it's yeah. a very, very choice selection of cat sounds. Yeah. It's very cute, very
3: relaxing, but what is neither cute nor relaxing is Vampire Survivors <laughs> because that game is stressful <laughs> at times, but oddly Zen at others times. It's a really big swing um, because, okay, I take a shot every time I compare this to 20 minutes till dawn. So hopefully you don't take that many because I don't think it should be compared to 20 Minutes Till Dawn very directly, even though they both came out this year. They both went through early access. They both have extremely similar concepts and it could be argued that, you know, 20 Minutes probably rips Vampire Survivors off maybe. I don't know. But they're very different games Um, just because of what I said earlier about, you know, in Vampire Survivors you don't really shoot... Necessarily, it's just movement. So, uh, I like twenty minutes till dawn more. I think the gameplay loops a bit tighter in how it, what you're doing matters a little bit more throughout the run because you have to shoot. (laughs) Uh, So there's more impetus on you, the player, to actually you know do skill based things to get success. Whereas in Vampire Survivors. It's more about unlocking stuff, just doing runs, unlocking a few things every single time, and uh, spending points into the passive uh, buffs to your character that you can get to just kind of make your character better and better and better, unlock more and more things, and kind of get a handle on how some of the mechanics work. Like if you level up your weapon enough times and have a another passive item that combines with it, which the game doesn't tell you which items it to, combine to which, unless you do it once, uh, they'll combine into a, like, a much more powerful version. And so like, I feel like I actually got through a, a lot of the secret content quickly because I f- discovered that weapons could combine very early. And I discovered um, uh, some of the uh, relics which like unlock additional features in the game quite early as well so i feel like i had kind of a more of a streamlined process than i probably should have for not having looked anything up but uh yeah there's a lot of interesting weapons uh like things that bounce around the screen things that uh one one of my favorite ones is the uh, is the king bible which just like spawns bibles that like Uh, spin around your character and as you level it up it spawns more and more bibles that spin faster and faster (laughs) and so they like can like it's pretty (laughs) effective uh, at like just knocking enemies back too it's quite good and then when you uh, get the combined version of that they're spinning endlessly like they don't spawn spin for a bit and then despawn so you constantly have bible
2: yeah so overall a lot more about the meta progression then
3: yeah and the game like really the way it doles out the secrets and some of the stuff that they do up around unlocking the secrets like it's it's very clear that that's the meat of the game and that's what they what the developer like wanted like for example there's these coffins in certain stages that uh you kind of have to find um it's not until you get the map that you can like uh, find them easily and when you uh, go to one and defeat the guardians around it you unlock a new character and it says your vampire is in another coffin <laughs> there's like little references <laughs> and stuff t- tied to unlocking that are pretty pretty good um, so in in my opinion the runs go on a little bit long they're 30 uh, minute runs um, and of course then you got time spent you know uh, in the upgrade screen whenever you level up, which you level up a lot uh choosing what you want to get um, one other thing is that you have limited uh weapon and item slots, so you can't get everything in a run you can get six weapons six items and there's there's a couple different ways to get more than that, but
2: generally that's what you're kind of locked into you know just on the upgrades mm-hmm. something I know something I noticed is that. It seemed like a lot of the upgrades were, frankly, they seemed kind of marginal. It's like, oh, like 5% attack speed or something. In comparison to a game like 20 Minutes, where, like, every upgrade is huge. Well, the difference
3: is that in 20 Minutes, each, like, skill tree has one, and then two, and then one. So each has four, basically. Uh, Whereas most weapons in Vampire Survivors have eight levels to them so like yeah each upgrade is more slight but there's more of them and then when they like evolve that's like the equivalent of like a lot of upgrades for some of these some of these weapons are like kind of meh before they're evolved and then become completely broken when they are um
2: yeah it just seemed it just seemed like it just seemed like you know like you were saying the gameplay loops just a bit not as tight. It, 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 it felt like there was a bit more filler in some ways.
3: A little bit, yeah. Just The run's going a bit long, and then it's. I found it a lot easier in Vampire Survivors to get to a point where you're untouchable. <laughs> where you just sit sit still and just like do something else and wait for the run to end. Uh, so I still think it was quite good, and I still think it's well worth like five bucks it is. Like, again, this is a game that I wish costed more because i want the developers to profit more off the good game that they made but you know and it it was even
1: cheaper in early access
3: yeah the developer put out like tweets being like oh i better get it now before we raise the price to five (laughs) bucks once it was released it's like pretty funny i believe Um,
1: it's also on a
3: game pass yeah which is so weird it's like (laughs) that's on game pass but so I wonder. I really wonder what kind of uh, payout they got from Microsoft for that, actually. <laughs> like how that scaled yeah. to the because uh, the release price is so little.
2: Well, and so. the you know the other thing though is that the fact that it's on Game Pass might also drive sales on other platforms too, because a bunch of people are, I think, more willing to try out a game if they already have Game Pass. Yeah, and then of they course. Talk about it, like it, it would be interesting. Kind of point. <laughs> like it would be interesting to like see how like an indie game that's on Game Pass how their sales are affected on Steam based on Game Pass availability that actually seems like it should be publicly available data because doesn't Steam publish sale, sales uh data?
3: not kind really of? uh you have I to guess... go through third party stuff that may or may not work some of them
2: oh yeah some
3: of the stuff does cuz uh when Steam made uh your uh game collection private by default that screwed everything up for every th- th- everybody that was scraping that data, because wow. now they couldn't tell uh, who had what games. So I think that that's why uh, in some of the like Steam Spy stuff, you see like a range where they're like estimating. I think so. The sales numbers for those things, I don't think they're solid unless something else changed that I missed. Um, but. Microsoft probably publishes how many people are subscribed to Game Pass. I don't see why they wouldn't.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but that doesn't really... No, I'm more more thinking about for an indie dev, is it worth it to release their game? And I notice most of them are only temporary... Many of them are only temporarily available on Game Pass. But does that actually give them, in addition to whatever payout Microsoft's giving them? And I don't know if that's based on how many people download it while it's on game pass but i wonder it it seems like in some cases it might actually just spike sales on steam anyway yeah so sounds pretty good uh yeah Uh, one other thing that i want to say
3: about vampire survivors is that okay this game is what i want to see from advances in hardware because there is so much happening on screen at once there's like hundreds of sprites moving around and like bouncing off each other and like some particle effects and stuff like that like this is what i want to see because a lot of hardware advances now is just like you know polygon count and ray tracing like higher res textures but this is a game that couldn't run on computers well like 20 years ago for sure maybe even 10 years ago (laughs) with how much how many sprites and stuff are bouncing around so, like, it's weird to think about for a game that visually looks, you know, you know, pixelarty and whatever. But this is this is what I want to see more of. I want to see more like crazy stuff. People like pushing hardware with these uh,
2: <laughs> simpler graphics. You know, what's interesting about that, too, is that that's actually something that if you are if you're doing if you're doing things intelligently, that the hardware can actually scale well with. Like, for example, if you have more enemies on screen, your game logic has to calculate a lot more enemy movements and attack patterns and things like that. But if you're doing it on a per-character basis, you can parallelize that. And that's obviously what modern hardware is actually um, (laughs) letting us do now because clock speeds aren't going up, but parallelization is getting really really insane and so that's the kind of thing that we we actually can do is just like pump huge numbers of enemies on screen right and you know what's funny is that i feel like the last generation where developers were li- really like talking about this and pushing this was actually like the gamecube xbox 360 uh, or well I remember on the GameCube, it was funny because Nintendo was actually the one. And they were they were talking about Paper Mario, the Thousand Year Door and talking up how like, oh, we got hundreds of enemy sprites on screen at once. And they did this thing with like uh, there was a few sections like there's like a a million. Well, there's like a hundred dry, dry bones sprites or something. And then kind of with Pikmin, actually, that they they kind of had the same sort of. Thing where they're talking about yeah, just like yeah. numbers, just big like, numbers. Of, uh,
3: that does happen, like every now and yeah, then, like you know, Dead Rising on the three sixties or
2: I was gonna say Dead Rising as well. Dead Rising had a huge focus on like we just have an insane number of enemy of of enemies of zombies on screen, and you can just chainsaw straight through them. Yeah, right? it also
1: killed a bunch of launch Xbox three sixties. Yep, <laughs> really? Yeah, I missed that.
2: And yeah, I think I was getting confused for a second there because I'm like, oh yeah, those were about the same era. But I think Thousand year Door* was maybe late, late GameCube, and *Dead Rising* was early 360. So they yeah, were like 360
3: of... lost early in its generation. Yeah. So they might have been released around the same time.
2: Yeah, but it seems like it seems like no, like it, it doesn't seem like developers are really looking at doing that.
3: Very <laughs> few and far between. Um, one of the. Kind of weird examples again with zombies was uh days gone for the ps4 where they were pretty much that entire game was they were touting like look at how many zombies we got like and we put extra technology in them to make them like kind of swarm swarm around uh in interesting ways and like the crowd stuff it did look pretty good for for a video game the problem is that i don't think many people cared
2: <laughs> Whatever. Yeah.
3: Some, some people like that game i it didn't look interesting to me because i don't care about zombies
2: uh, but in <laughs> i don't general... care about zombies
3: and sons of anarchy which is basically what that game was
2: <laughs> yeah but in general i think there's definitely a lot of games where actually people have the complaint that like oh yeah now the game's just the game just feels empty because there's not a lot going on i remember actually i haven't played cyberpunk but i know this was one of the things that people mentioned about cyberpunk is that it feels kind of um, weirdly sparsely populated. Maybe Sean can comment on that.
0: Except uh, for when you do something bad and the police come, then there's a surprising <laughs> amount of police in no time at all.
2: <laughs> I feel, think that, that feels that, very appropriate. That does feel, <laughs> that feels about right. Although the uh, the hardware limitations are clearly in play with Cyberpunk. I mean, By yeah. the way,
0: I, I will comment
2: yeah.
0: one. I was one but that's part thing. of the problem,
2: right? Like a lot of developers, big, big developers are all focused on making making things so, so shiny <laughs> that you can't uh, very shiny in the case of cyberpunk with ray tracing. Uh, but, you know, you don't have the actual like you don't have the hardware budget left to render huge numbers of enemies. And then indie games, indie games just like are more focused, I think, on concept more than just like, yeah, just. Big numbers
0: yeah um so i'd like to just do a shout out to uh to cyberpunk edge runners for accurately describing how incredibly crazy the driving physics are there's one there's (laughs) several scenes in the series uh where um they're driving and uh the main character has a device which lets him uh, uh 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 live at basically like 10 times speed. And so you just see the vehicle bouncing around exactly as it would in the game, uh, and and him being an absolutely terrible driver. And the physics of this driving look bonkers. Like you think, OK, this is some anime level shit. And then you play the actual game, and you're like, they are just parroting what's happening in the game. It's great. It's great. That's fantastic.
3: <laughs> yeah. That sounds great.
1: So, basically, now is the time for a sprite-based uh, Dynasty Warriors game.
3: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, di- uh, well, Dynasty Warriors got away with the, having tons and tons of enemies on screen, because they didn't do anything. <laughs> Seriously, you can walk up to a group of enemies and just stand there, and like a lot of them just won't even attack you. Like, it's co- it's a complete illusion, those games.
1: You might get like the odd one just trying to take a poke at you but yeah <laughs> that's it. it's just it's they're just plow through large enemies or large uh piles of enemies that's the entire point of those games yep
2: maybe it's just like okay we're just gonna select a random subset of the enemies and they get ai this frame <laughs> everyone <laughs> else does nothing there's no cpu budget left yeah only only a few enemies possess the think function <laughs> that was it, that, that was
3: one of my favorite things about um when uh valve made the dota 2 ai open source because they didn't want to program it themselves so they said community you do it uh, i took a look at it and like the main function was think <laughs> <laughs> where it would think every uh every cycle or whatever <laughs> it's like that's that's just funny naming to me but it makes sense
0: you know, clever use of that, and you end up getting a, a game like Lemmings, you know? Where, where they all start walking off the cliff. I don't think and... those
3: Lemmings are thinking all that hard.
0: <laughs>
1: they don't think, they just do.
0: Yeah. <laughs> don't
3: think, feel. Alright. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's all I have to say about Vampire Survivors. You should pick it up uh, if you are interested. You should sink your teeth into it. <laughs> There we go. There we go. You should You should be on the marketing team. No, that, that doesn't work, though. Dude, seriously. You the, have to be the, a the vampire. Be, the bestiary entries no sound vampires. like Sean wrote them, okay? There's so many puns.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. It is time to talk about the one game I've been playing far too much of right now. And unbelievably, it's no longer Noita. <laughs>
2: I don't believe you. You were playing Noita like on at 3 a.m. last night. And let me tell two you, ago. Two... it wow. was great. I saw you playing Noita 2 nights ago, and then you were also playing Noita last night? That's right. But when I Will play he be more playing
1: of... Noita tonight? Possibly.
0: <laughs> you're you're very prescient. Um, So chess is the game that I've been playing. And uh, so when I went to Toronto, I went to this fantastic little uh, board games place off of, I don't know, because I got to it by going underground. And uh, let me tell you, GPS doesn't exist in in Toronto's uh, subway systems and you quickly become completely lost. Uh, But anyways, um, they had many different variations of chess. Uh, which, um, if you've played classic chess before, you know what this is all about. But then when you get into the variants, things start to get really crazy. So there's variants that are more like physical variants of the game, where you're actually going to be playing it in person, and then there's the variants that you can play online. Uh, I'm going to save my favorite variant for last. Um, I'm going to first talk about the variant that I tried that made me want to pull my hair out. Uh, This is called Sovereign Chess. And in Sovereign Chess, uh, there are many different colors of uh, chess pieces on the board. And it looks a little bit like a Scrabble board because there are different colored squares. Oh, and no. Let me tell you, uh, there was a video online explaining how to play it, which I had to pull up in order to be able to play it because the instructions just didn't quite do it for me. Perhaps my brain uh, was not able to comprehend these mere instructions written down. It's like some Cthulhu-like language making me lose my mind. Uh, And so the guy starts out with saying on this video that sovereign chess is like real chess uh, or is like normal chess, except with these differences. And the first comment and the highest comment of this video is, no, it is not. (laughs) Um, At the end of the day, many people found it to be quite entertaining, but um, the the, the, the general concept is here is that when you're playing a variant of chess, consider how much more complicated it's making the game. Uh, and uh, if it's making it so complicated that you need a YouTube video to play it, I would recommend that you steer away from this. Um, because So what's happening here is when you move a piece onto a colored square, you gain control of all the pieces of that color. Uh, and you can also swap your king for a piece of another color that you can control. And already the game is already getting out of control. Uh, Santo's brow is furrowing. It gets very complicated Uh, very quickly. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It is complete madness, and I don't know how it's so popular. Uh, So if you play Sovereign Chess uh, and you enjoy it, let me tell you, you are a a very rare bird. Now, uh, let's go on to the the variants of chess that I enjoyed the most is one where you're changing the dimensions of the board. I found Mm, circular chess to be very fun, and that's literally... uh, Well, they shouldn't really call it circular chess. I think they should call it donut chess because, uh, yes, the, the... the board becomes a donut, uh, and your um, non-pawn pieces are kind of backs against each other. Your pawns are uh, to the side, and you're going around in a circle, and it is hella fun. <laughs> that was that was honestly, uh, it was pretty great. Donut maps um, are great.
3: Donut is one of my
0: favorite Civ maps. Yes! Now, if you want to amp it up one more dimension, you can go from circular chess to spherical chess, where uh, the chess board is a globe, and um, this one is kind of basically normal chess with a few little differences here and there. But it's very fun and very hectic. And one of the most fun things to do is just endlessly spin this globe and be like, all right, how screwed am I right now? In the bush, Jim, I'm assuming the, the pieces are magnetic. Like they are magnetic, yes.
2: Yeah. Bishop sounds like it would be extremely powerful. Yes. In, in, globe, in globe chess. Uh the so, kind of queen, of course. Yes. But like um, the diagonal move seems like it would be like sort of difficult to uh, <laughs> see on a sphere.
0: Yeah, yeah. You can you can pull some sneaky things with, with your diagonal pieces there. Um now moving away from the physical but along the dimensional, one of my favorites uh that I was just um doing some research about, I didn't get the chance to truly play this. Um, with a human uh, infinite chess where you start on the normal chess board but the board itself expands infinitely uh, and your pieces can dart off in just about any direction Uh, and there's a lot of chess theory that goes into this um, and uh, figuring out how quickly you can end the game despite there being an infinite uh play field for you to navigate on that one was also um it, it was fun to learn about because uh there was just a lot of math and theory behind it um but if you're looking for anything that takes a short amount of time and doesn't make you start nose bleeding from all the thinking you're doing you might want to stay away from that one now speaking of nosebleed i'm going to go to the most complicated variant of all and that is five dimensional chess yep <laughs> With time travel.
2: Holy
0: priced on a cracker. (laughs) No amount of explaining the rules will help you figure out how to play this game. In fact, no amount of playing the game will help you figure out how to play this game. You will become hopelessly lost. Grandmasters who play chess (laughs) have a fun time losing their minds at this game. Yeah, Um, we were talking about. uh
3: inappropriate uh, tags on steam earlier and 5d uh, dimensional chess with time travel has the tag psychological horror on it
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah uh so essentially yeah your your pieces can time travel and when they time travel they create parallel realities and uh all you need to do is win on any one of these parallel realities uh um and pieces can travel between those realities um, in a way that will quickly uh, destroy your your own sense of reality um, I remember trying it and I both lost and won unexpectedly um, so it's a little bit like uh, Schrodinger's game you know <laughs> your 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 ability to win and lose is superimposed uh, upon um, observation, I would say now, let me skip to the top uh variant that I would recommend. And um there's a, a, a chess player on YouTube, you can watch him play it and you'll see why it's so fun. It's called duck chess. <laughs> duck chess? And it's duck chess. It's a real quack. Um so there is a duck piece, and on each player's turn, you start by moving the duck. And this is very important because nobody got shit on this duck the duck cannot be moved uh or cannot be interacted with in any way uh by normal pieces the only way to interact with it is to move it and so there is just a absolute constant um of of determining your opponent's best possible move and plunking this duck around so they switch the D to an F and scream very loudly at you and be like, God damn it, that was my only good move. So the duck's uh, just
1: a physical obstruction on the board? That's right. A movable <laughs> physical obstruction.
3: Wow, I, I can't believe they turned Chess into a cover shooter. <laughs> they did.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it, it's astoundingly fun um yeah uh, and and you can play this variant online uh easily if you if you go to uh any online platforms and definitely definitely worth the time um it makes it fun because anyone who's even a beginner at chess will understand you know what is the biggest threat here uh and how can i use this duck to absolutely make my opponent start swearing at me um and uh uh online watching grandmasters play against each other you can actually watch their veins pop out of their heads uh it's pretty great
3: (laughs) (laughs) sean you should get into combat chess (laughs) yes (laughs) where you know you determine the the game on the battlefield and the battlefield where you throw hands
0: (laughs) oh yeah now one thing that i noticed is when i looked at the uh the history of computerized chess, there's a lot of chess games that actually did exactly that. Well, mostly it was just crazy animations. So you know the chess pieces as they're moving across the board. You know the queen would whip out like a flamethrower or curb-stomp her opponent with her with her high heels or whatever crazy animation that the animators could think of using the technology at the time. Um, Definitely, it makes the game longer whenever they have these uh, animations thrown in. But um, very entertaining to see how the most simple of games uh, could be massively blown up in animation budget and (laughs) time spent uh, developing such a simple game. Um, And uh, yeah, I I would say that one of the things that really... uh, Got me hooked on trying to become better at chess is actually how useful chess theories are at other areas of your life. Um, there's been many area. Uh, there's many. There's been many a time that I've been having a debate uh, with uh, someone in my life, or. Um, negotiating something in the workplace or uh, with a customer service agent who's being difficult. And one of the various chess tactics or strategies will pop into my head at that moment and uh, inspire me to say or do something that will um, uh, move things along in a much better direction. So um yeah, I would say that even if you uh are not an expert at chess, if you like it even in the slightest, go ahead and look up the chess tactics um and uh and uh do some introspection on how they might apply to common areas of your life, things like the fork, the spear, the uh, uh of course, now that I want to talk about them, they all fly out of my head.
2: <laughs> yeah, move over, Sun Tzu. Speaking of flying, I just had
1: a, Speaking of Flying, I just had an idea for a chess variant. Tell me, let's hear it. Time, it, it. So it's time chess. But if either player runs out of time on their clock, a swarm of moths is unleashed and whatever pieces get
3: knocked over are gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs>
1: <sighs> oh.
0: that one hits deep that one hits deep yeah,
2: yeah so hmm. so speaking of uh chess as a shooter yeah i've been playing <laughs> yeah i've been playing a game called shotgun king the final checkmate now, uh, the lore of the game—if you care about the like literal like five seconds of lore this game has—is uh, that you play as the Black King, and all your subjects left you because you're a terrible despotic ruler. And the White King is a peaceful, uh, well, the White King is a benevolent, good king. And so all your pieces left for the White Kingdom, and you pick up your and you're mad about it. So you pick up your trusty shotgun and go on a rampage to destroy all of the White pieces and White King. Uh, sort of a silly uh, setup. It's pretty much just an excuse for a one-v-all uh, shotgun showdown. So you play as a king piece. So initially, your movement is just that of a king, except you, uh, instead of capturing pieces, you just have a shotgun. And all the uh, opposing pieces have health. It's like, I think a pawn has uh, th- three, three health or something, but then the king has quite a bit more health. Queens have, like, five health. Rooks have five. So the pieces are stronger in different ways as well. Like, knights uh, have... So there's a turn counter. Knights move every other turn. So they move quick. Uh, But something like a rook does not move every other turn. Pawns don't move every other turn. Although they can, because the thing is, the game starts out pretty simply. But uh, every every so it's set up with like a two modes there's endless mode and then there's like the throne mode throne mode you're trying to like retake your throne uh which is 12 levels that you have to beat and then the 12th final level is sort of a special level because you face off against a gigantic white king that takes up like eight squares of the (laughs) board or something
1: a novelty size king
2: novelty size king yeah and Every floor you clear, you get one upgrade and one sort of downgrade. Or rather, you get an upgrade and white white gets an upgrade. So the upgrades might be like extra range for your shotgun or extra damage for your shotgun. Or uh, they might be things like uh, you get to hold more souls. And what a soul is, is that when you kill a non-pawn piece, you actually get that... Pieces soul, which gives you the ability to move like that piece. Uh, So if you kill a knight, you now have a knight soul and you can move like a knight would instead of like the king, which is really, really important for getting out of jams, uh, especially as you get later into the game. Because, uh, like I said, each floor you clear, you get an upgrade, but so does white. Now, a lot of those are extra pieces for white, but a lot of them also give extra abilities. So, for example, there, it, there might be one that now means that pawns can move in all four directions. Which, if there's a lot of pawns, is an absolute nightmare. If there's uh, a lot of uh, pawns as well, you know, there's things that reduce the turn timer so that units move faster. Um, you might end up in a situation where white has three queens on the board. Uh, like oh, no. base. Yeah, like there 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 there's a lot of stuff that ends up getting really, really dangerous. And then on the hard, and then on the harder difficulties, you lose some of the abilities that help you like on normal. You get two shells in the chamber of your shotgun on hard. You get one Uh, on very hard. You don't get souls anymore. By default, you only can get the soul uh, ability via an upgrade from clearing a level. So there's a lot of like kind of cool upgrades and and sort of up enemy upgrades and they kind of synergize in interesting ways too. Like there's one upgrade where you get an extra turn if you kill a knight. But there's upgrades for white that give white more knights. So it's actually if you get the upgrade that gives you extra turns on knight kills, but then white has more knights, it kind of like lets you It lets you do things of little it's a bit easier in that sense. So I I like the way it, it, it plays with this trade off thing of, oh, and you get to choose between two sets of upgrade, downgrade sort of sort of thing. So it's a it's it's a it's a simple it's a fairly simple game, other than the fact that it's basically got upgrades. It's still basically just chess, chess with a shotgun a weird turn system and upgrades. It's, now, it's really, really fun though. Uh, like if you, if you like chess, it's worth it. I think it's worth trying. It's, it's super, it's super weird, but it's, it's actually quite fun. Also, I, I find that I I like to play it really fast, and I'm always making really dumb mistakes that I would never make during an actual chess game.
3: What I learned from watching you play this is that I should play you in speed chess sometime because I I have a feeling I might do well.
0: Uh, Yeah. Like, oh, God. Yeah, go go ahead, John. um, So in Shotgun Shotgun King, if I'm correct... um, multiple pieces can move on on white side or is it
2: only one at a time uh so the way it works is that every piece on the white side has a uh a cooldown of their sort of like turn so for example the knights have a two turn cooldown and when the cooldown like reaches zero or or I can't remember if it increases or decreases, but the the when the cooldown like fills or empties or whatever it's doing, it uh, they move, and so every single night will move every other turn. Now they don't all move in sync, though. I I, I think it just like kind of randomizes how full each piece's uh, uh, movement gauge is, but you can be in a situation where like the the white has like 12 pieces on the board and eight of them are moving on one turn. If you know, they just happened to fill up their meter all at once, which does happen. And it can be quite, it can be quite bad for you because if you have the opponent moving, say like two rooks and a Bishop in the same turn, or maybe a queen in there as well, it, like the AI like intentionally just tries to spread out the pieces to just try and checkmate you, like it does a pretty good job at at doing that as well, if there's a lot of pieces. yeah, and I, I I've sometimes made oh yeah, it's important to
3: mention the uh lose condition, like how you get checkmated, is uh if you get put into check and you end your turn still in check you'll lose uh so there's a couple fun things about this where if you're only being checked by a single piece you can try to shoot that piece to get yourself out of check and you know it's a shotgun it has a spread so that's not always guaranteed unless the piece is like right next to you uh oh
2: yeah the spread's like really, and the spread's pretty fun because there's there's uh, there's upgrades that affect the spread. So there's upgrades that narrow the spread and upgrades that widen the spread. And depending on how much damage you do, the way that damage actually works is that every point of damage is an extra bullet coming out of the shotgun. So if you have lots of damage, high spread can actually be good.
3: Yeah, it's a fun mm-hmm. dynamic. And uh, one other thing that I was saying where what uh, Alex was saying when sometimes he plays too fast is that if you shoot a uh, piece and destroy it, and destroying that piece would put you into check, like if there's a rook behind a pawn, for example, that's a checkmate. <laughs> so you gotta be, uh, a, oh, yeah. you gotta be careful <laughs> where yeah. you're
2: shooting. Especially on level one, I am I lose I lose the first level way more often than I lose the second level because the first <laughs> level's so easy that I just try to speed through it. And sometimes I'm just not paying attention and I shoot I shoot the pawn in front of the rook while I'm in that column. And I just get I just get I just get bodied. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I was saying, with uh, all the pieces moving at once, a uh, common mistake I've made is. I'll get the upgrade that gives me extra turns on killing knights, and then I'll take extra knights. But if you're playing on hard or above and you have only one shell in the chamber, it takes a turn to reload the chamber. Now, you can move and reload movements automatically reload your your weapon, but. I, I've i made this mistake multiple times where I just I take extra knights because I'm like, oh, I've got a, I've got free I get free turns. This is great. And then all four and then like four knights just move at once all around me. And I just can't get out of it. Especially if there's a, a rook or a, a bishop around, because then it's really, really easy to, to for, for the AI to just lock you down into a checkmate. Yeah. Unless you have the souls, which is why the souls are so critical. But yeah, I've gotten to the uh, very hard difficulty where you don't start with souls, and it's way harder without the soul mm-hmm. ability. Yeah, and
3: I, I like some of the abilities too. Some of them are pretty inventive, like the the moat that gets set up in the middle of the field where uh, the opponent's pieces like have to spend a turn in the moat to get through, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and then the ability yeah, to pick up totally enemy fun. pieces and throw them around. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Oh, man, that's probably my favorite. That's probably my favorite ability. So there's this ability and you just you can pick up any piece that's beside you. And then you can actually move while carrying the piece. And then instead of and then instead of shooting your next your next attack is to literally just throw the piece at another piece. And you can and you can potentially kill the piece that you throw and the piece that gets hit. (laughs) wow and then I think it also stuns the pieces too so they don't uh, it like resets their turn counter or something so I've used that that one's actually uh, really good because it can get you out of a jam because you can end up actually taking out two pieces when you're kind of cornered I think it does damage proportional to the amount of health that the unit has though so like throwing a pawn is not as powerful as throwing a rook yeah, <laughs> and I've made, I've made the mistake where I, I've thrown a, 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 a unit I've thrown a, a, a piece at like a queen to try and get, take out the queen and then it's just made it worse and then <laughs> I lost
1: you're throwing the queen instead
2: I couldn't throw the queen, the queen wasn't beside me <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, so yeah does how far yeah. you can throw the piece matter based
2: on what piece they are? I don't think so I haven't noticed that. It seems like the, yeah, throwing is basically the same. Again, the the only difference, the only difference between pieces seems to be that pieces with more health do more damage to other pieces. Yeah, there's a there's a uh, there's there's some fun ones. There's some really, really dangerous ones, too. Like there's one that makes pawns uh, able to attack the two spaces in front of them. As well as the diagonals that they normally have, which makes the pawns extremely dangerous. And then they get little spears <laughs> to, to show you that they that they have that ability. Oh, there's also a grenade. The grenade's hilarious. The grenade is uh, very damaging and also very, very unpredictable. It bounces
0: around crazy, right? It bounces. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the banana yeah. ball and worms.
2: Yeah, uh, you can you can potentially take out a whole bunch of pieces at once, but it's—I've never actually done well when I take the grenade. <laughs>
3: that might be some correlation there. The
0: RNG is here for you, psych. Oh, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, it's tough, it's tough to use, but yeah, I I, I highly recommend it. Uh, I think I, I think I saw that they're they're still. I think it's still in early access, so there's apparently a big update coming soon with some new features. It would be really, it would be really, uh, I really like what they did with it, because it's, it's, it's fundamentally like a fairly small game. Like, there's not really that much to it, but what they've got is pretty tightly focused, and it plays like a dream. It's, it's they just, they came up with a concept, and they pretty much executed perfectly on that concept which is exactly what I love to see in like a little indie indie game like that. Nice.
3: Now, if you want to talk about a game where they didn't execute on the concept, uh, it's time for me to rant. Um, Okay. So I'm a long suffering video game fan where a lot of the, my favorite franchises are either having some pretty rough entries put into them in my opinion, or just aren't getting made anymore. One of the key uh, players in this is Monster Rancher. Uh, there are, hasn't really been a Monster Rancher game in forever. I think the last Monster Rancher game before this year was a mobile game in like 2014, maybe, and before that, even like a, another like years sp- years long span between them. Uh, so they announced two Monster Rancher games for this year. So it's you know the year of the Monster Rancher. Uh, one of them is a another mobile game uh, that's through the Line messaging slash gaming service in Japan, which I have zero hopes of ever showing up here. Uh, so I'm just gonna put that one out of my mind. But the Monster Rancher game that they did announce that was coming to uh, North America was Ultra Kaiju Monster Rancher. Now this is a monster rancher game that focuses on uh, the various kaiju in the Ultraman universe, which Ultraman is an extremely popular uh, kaiju series in Japan, um, and it shows. Uh, it's I can't really begrudge um, Koei Tecmo for making uh, this crossover because, like, apparently it sold quite well uh, in Japan. It was like the third best selling physical release of that uh of that uh week like persona 5 royal came out the same week and it sold about half as much as that like the switch version of persona 5 royal so that's you know that's fairly impressive i don't know about the digital numbers but seems like at least uh a fair amount of people are into this and like in the uh you know moss rancher community like the discords or whatever uh people seem pretty high on this game uh i wasn't actually wasn't gonna pick it up because i don't give a damn about kaiju i have a pretty big bias against them i just don't care um like it's it's the funny thing of like you remember when the um, godzilla reboot happened like five years ago six years ago whatever and most people, when they talked about that movie, is like, "Oh, you gotta hear it! You gotta hear you know Godzilla's like shriek with like the crazy speakers or whatever." And it's just like, but is the movie good? Like people were talking <laughs> about that moment more than if the movie was actually good or not. So it's like, whatever. Um, but so, think
0: of the foley artists.
3: <laughs> yeah, think of the think of the poor sound in- engineers that had to make that sound good. Um, uh, the, the people that had to hear that over and over again while they were doing editing that part of the movie <laughs> and their poor, poor eardrums. Uh, so I was kind of like lukewarm on picking it up, uh, in part because of the like my bias, but people seemed to like it. So I did pick it up. I actually streamed it <laughs> for about six hours. Um, and okay, well... I'll start with what I like about the game first. I think that they did a really good job at making this game mostly like Monster Rancher 2. Monster Rancher 2 is the agreed upon mostly agreed upon best game in the series, and it's my favorite in the series, so it's very similar to that, to the point where they're even using sound effects uh, from the original PS1 game. (laughs) Um... The game, it does feel authentic, and I'm not the person to be able to judge this, but they put in a lot of, like, the kaiju cries and shrieks, and they, you know, sound just as grating as I think they do, and they do it a lot. (laughs) Um, And they do a few interesting mechanics, like, instead of having, you know, training drills that you do, you have training drills that you do, but in certain locations, And by doing a drill over and over again in particular locations, that location becomes your kaiju's territory. And so they get like extra bonuses for uh, training there. So it kind of has this like territory, like territorial uh, nature to, you know, these gigantic monsters, which is kind of interesting. And sometimes enemy kaiju will try and like, uh, jump into those uh areas to kind of take over your territory reduce your territory score there and so you have to fight them out uh which is pretty interesting uh various things up a little bit as well um like the kaijus will get tired of training in certain territories so you gotta spread them out a little bit more too the game incentivizes you to try different things to break up the uh, repetitiveness of it um However, it's the repetitiveness of it that's I think it's his biggest flaw. Um, monster Rancher is a game of repetition. Like basically, you generate a monster and you have about three hundred to you know four hundred or whatever in-game weeks of just raising your stats and battling. So you're doing the same thing essentially every single of week every single of these you know time increments over and over and over again so if you make that flow bad that's really rough like that's what i liked about um you know the original monster rancher 2 is that it could it pretty easily put me into a flow state where i was you know doing these drills seeing these stats go up and it was pretty satisfying but in this game, there's a just a little bit too much like in the way of all that like uh every week you get like two to three you know boxes of dialogue that say some generic stuff about you know the weather or the time of year and how your kaiju's reacting to it, it has no gameplay purpose whatsoever but you know you start seeing rep- repetition of those after like the first year, and that means that that's an extra you know three dialogue boxes that you have to click through every week of your, you know, my first kaiju lasted 200 weeks. So that meant that those were 600 dialogue boxes I had to press through over this kaiju's lifetime. And it's like, you can't be putting stuff like that in a game where you're doing this repetitive action so many times because it's just going to be grading. There's a fast-forward button that fast-forwards through dialogue. However, it resets every, like... Every so often, like, really quickly. Like, you can't just turn on fast-forward and have it on all the time. You have to turn it on, and it'll fast-forward through that chunk of dialogue. Which doesn't help all that much, honestly. Um, They did weird things where... This is a really big nitpick, but... (laughs) um, Where you can skip the Kaiju's training drill animation... Still takes a little bit too long for like the animation part of it. But then when it shows you like the stat increases, those disappear really quickly. And I want to see those. (laughs) That's the entire point of me doing these drills. If I'm going to spend any time uh, waiting on information, that's the information that I want to wait on. See what increased, how big, and where I ended up. Because that's important for starting out. Like I want to know be able to pick up really quickly like what my kaiju is good at was not so that's you know something that i didn't really like um okay a couple other things i did like though um is that uh the monster Rancho games have always have usually had some kind of a trait system where you can staple on different things onto your monster that are outside of its you know techs and stats where sometimes the a lot of the times they're um, things that activate during battle under certain circumstances. And this game has a trait system where you can, you basically generate uh, items that have these traits and you can like slap them onto your monster. You can, each monster has an inherent trait and then you can slap three onto them, which is nice that some, you know, some other Monster Rancher games give traits to you randomly Whereas this one gives you them randomly, but then gives you the choice of what you get. So I think that's a much better way of doing it than just giving them to you randomly. Uh, It really lets you, you know, specialize your monster uh, and your kaiju in a a few extra ways. I'm I'm making the distinction between monster and kaiju because they do that in the game because this somehow canonically takes place in the same, you know, world as regular-ass Monster Rancher. Which... Uh,
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah Uh... Do you, do we see the kaiju that are, like, would you end up seeing Godzilla in this game? Or, or any other ones we see in the movies?
3: So, no. This is specifically kaiju related to the Ultraman universe, of which the only one that I've heard of before is uh, Gomora, which is, you know, a, okay. a Godzilla-esque looking, like, big dinosaur guy with, like, a kind of a crescent horn on him. Uh, everything else, except for Ultraman itself, I've never heard of. Um, gotcha. so like, and I'm more familiar with stuff in the Godzilla universe, like, you know, Godzilla, Mothra, um, Space Godzilla, <laughs> uh, that kind of stuff. Um, Mecha Godzilla. Exactly, yeah. King Ghidorah. Mm hmm. Uh, so. Oh, Jira. The, the only other two kaiju that I recognized in this game were, uh, Suezo and Mochi, which made cameo appearances. <laughs> they put a couple monster, monster ranch for monsters in this. Um, so there's Swayzo. other Suizo can beat Suazo can beat Godzilla in a fight. Suazo OP. I mean these these well, these are giganto sized Suezos.
2: So they're just as big as these other kaiju. Um so it, the lore the lore now, Suazo just never stops growing. Yeah. Ancient Suizo <laughs> Ancient Suazo become our kaiju. Just they're so big. They're like lobsters. Like they don't die, they just keep getting bigger.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, or eaten okay
3: uh, a couple other things that are nice um this game like it does a lot of the stuff that monster rancher 2 does in terms of uh monster techs but it gives you the option on whether to t- uh turn techs off completely and not have them in your uh most in your kaiju's loadout which um is a really smart change for uh like when your kaiju is battling like ai versus ai which doesn't happen very often in game but that's how tournaments are run they're always run ai versus ai and there's some monsters in monster rancher 2 that are horrible because they're like starting techs are bad or they're a monster that specializes in intelligence attacks but they have a couple power attacks that you can't get rid of so that's a very smart thing that they added to make tournaments run a bit smoother Though they added another thing that makes tournaments run way less smooth, which is you can't search monsters online unless you've already unlocked them, <laughs> which sucked because there was this one one guy, uh, Moosebones, whose tournaments like he's really good at running tournaments. So check his stream if you're interested in Monster Rancher. But he wanted to run like a tournament like really soon after launch, and then found out the hard way that he couldn't search out some uh, some entries. So that really sucked, and I don't know why they did that. <laughs> uh so okay now time for me to rant about this so huh they did a really good job at making a game called ultra kaiju monster ranch that feels like a kaiju monster rancher because kaiju are you know these big slow lumbering creatures and that's exactly how this game performs slow and lumbering oh no I don't know why this game performs as badly as it does, because nothing in it is anything that the Switch shouldn't be able to handle. I should also mention this is a Switch exclusive, so there's no PC version, at least as of yet. Maybe they'll make one, I don't know.
2: I mean, that makes performance problems even more unforgivable.
3: If they're only targeting one platform, yes, I agree. Yeah, Yeah.
2: If if it's ported to multiple platforms and one of the platforms doesn't get as much development time... It's annoying, but understandable. If it's on one platform, what the hell happened?
0: Like maybe they're rendering the full anatomy of a kaiju, you know? No, no, they're <laughs> not. All right, because so okay, uh,
3: when it comes to you know three D models and textures, you know you got your three D model, you put your texture on top of it. Uh, now, what a lot of places do is a technique called bump mapping, which is where your texture that you put on your model is textured in a way to make it look like it has more uh, depth to certain parts of the model than it actually has. Like, for example, scars on facial textures, for example, they're not necessarily modeling extra polygon, extra vertexes in the polygons to make like a divot for a scar. They're just texturing it in a way that makes it look like there's depth there. That's why it's called bump mapping. Um, And that's basically what they did for uh, a lot of these kaiju uh which is messed up because monster rancher has always been uh one of its key components is being able to fuse monsters together and have you know the result of that have you know be the main skeleton and model of the first monster with elements of the second uh, now in the older you know even in the older ps1 games they ch- actually change the models sometimes in fairly significant ways so this is one why I love Monster Rancher 4 so much is because a lot of the models are very different. That's why I don't like Monster Rancher Advance 2 and 1, because all the differences are palette swaps. There's no model changes whatsoever. So that makes the monsters have way more personality, in my opinion, way different. It makes me feel a lot better about raising one, like one Swayzo that looks one way and another Swayzo that looks another way because there's more tangible differences between them. With these kaiju combinations or whatever they just slap different textures on them as far as I can tell the models aren't really changing all that much so I don't know why everything's so low performant like if there's no model variation then there's less models that they have to have Uh, uh, and like in battle like some attacks will just like start co- causing frame rate dips uh on ranch, stuff will start causing frame rate dips like there's constant frame rate dips in a game that like it, again it's weird to me to see games that run worse than you know their ps1 <laughs> counterparts a long time ago i know about the ps1 the ps1 wasn't a, actually a great system when it came to tech like go and watch some original PS One footage and see how much those polygons are swimming around and how many seams pop up. It's not a great system, but it performed better in some cases than these new games do. It's 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 really messed up and it it makes it feel just it makes it feel more slow than it even is. Like I already talked about the repetition in terms of just too much stuff happens every week that you have to button through to make the game flow. That having frame rate dips on top of that, it made me really 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 annoyed playing this game. Uh and the battles also feel slower. The attack animations are a fair bit slower because again, these are big, slow, lumbering kaiju. Um and because these kaiju are all based off of, you know, uh defined IP, defined property. Um, I feel like there's a lot less variation in them. Like, in Monster Master, you know, you had this, like, cool, like, crab lobster. You've got whatever the hell Swayzo is. You have, like, you know, a ghost, a, a reanimated tree. Like, a lot of different shapes and sizes for these monsters. Like, you know, you could have a tiny pixie and a big-ass golem. But in this game, all the monsters are about the same size. Pretty much all of them are bipedal. Uh... There's a lot of ones that are mostly lizards. Uh, so there's less variety there. And if it, I didn't really get too attached to the monster, I, the kaiju I was raising, or any of the kaiju that I saw all that much. There were a couple of ones that looked kind of cool looking, but for the most part, I was pretty tepid on them. So if I'm not attached to the actual monsters themselves, if I'm not attached to the actual gameplay then I'm not attached to this game at all. Like, that's one thing I'll give, like, something like Pokemon Shield, where I wasn't attached to the pacing or the, of the uh, gameplay or the story or anything like that, but I still had a good time discovering the new Pokemon and building a team. So, you know, uh, I'd say it's a better game than this one, even though uh, Ultra Cry G Monster Rancher is way more interesting mechanically, but I just don't care. Uh, and, okay. I got one more thing I got to bring up about this game and something that threw me for a loop. Now you all don't have to deal with this because all of you have common names. Sean, Alex, Matt. I know so many people that are called Sean, Alex, and Matt. The only other people that I know named Santo are people in my immediate family. All right. So I don't get video game characters named Santo ever. All right. So whenever I hear the name or see the word, it like kind of throws me a little bit because I think it's m- about me. Maybe that's extremely egocentric or whatever, but I'm going to base it off of the fact that I don't have a particularly common name. So, of course, the one video game that shows up with a character named Santo is fucking Ultra Kaiju Monster Rancher, <laughs> where the guy who runs the, mon- the Kaiju shrine is named Santo. And it's just like, the first time it showed up, like you don't see the portrait of the guy. It's like, oh, hello, Santo. I'm like... <laughs> What's going on here? I don't think I put, did. I, did I put my name into the switch? I I I know I named my uh, my uh, rancher character something different. What's going on here?
2: Is this some psychomantis going on? I or know, right?
3: I, <laughs> the game I, knows you too well. Yeah, I see you like fire emblem, <laughs> uh, like I. And I was curious about this, so I looked, and this is this is how like not showing up the name santo is there's not a single trainer in any pokemon game that's named santo uh, th- think about that for a second think about how many pokemon games there are and how many trainers there are per pokemon game not a single one there's a santos <laughs> in the one of the battle towers but maybe if we ever get a uh, italy region yeah the only santo I get in Pokemon is in, is one, this one like great British bake-off looking jabroni in one of the episodes who owns a Mime Jr. as his only Pokemon named Santo. I was just like, come on. Talk about representation. I got I got zero representation in my name in these video games. So if there's any game developers here, reach out in the box with your names. do just go with Bible names, damn it. <laughs> uh, oh, and as I want to do, I forgot to talk about some, I, I take notes, alright? I take notes for these podcasts, and then forget to talk about some of these notes sometimes. Um, I do have to talk about um, one of the ways that you can generate monsters in this game, because they put in the CD database from uh, Monster Rancher 1 and 2DX, but only in the Japanese version, for whatever reason. What? They didn't what? put it in the English version, I don't know why. Why not? That's bullshit. I, I, I have no idea. But what? So they put in a password, like, keyword system, like they... Have had in the advanced games and the DS games, but they also let you generate kaiju from NFC uh, enabled things, except for Amiibos; those don't work. What? <laughs> yes, this Nintendo Switch exclusive thing doesn't work with Amiibos. Uh, Probably because they would have had to get Nintendo approval. Is my is my guess? Uh, like maybe you know Amiibo stuff. Like you can only get Nintendo. Uh, things from Amiibos. I don't know. I don't. I don't know a lot about third-party Amiibo support. Like the most I know is I in know. Skyrim, and you get Amiibos and you get
2: Nintendo stuff from that. So, I mean, I know that. I know that third-party, like you don't need proprietary code or anything like that to read the uh, Nintendo Amiibo NFCs. Yeah. I've, I've, I don't I've, know. I've, I've dropped. I've, I've read some NFCs on my phone. I was just messing around with it.
3: Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that, but that's uh, actually um,
2: the reason for that is that um I mean, they're they're, they're probably it's probably that they're they're concerned that like they don't want Nintendo like Nintendo's so litigious that I wouldn't put it past some company to be worried like oh if we put Amiibo support in Nintendo might be upset if it doesn't like lead to actual Nintendo properties. Yeah. But, how has
1: nintendo not made their own version of
3: skylanders with amiibo support i know that's what immediately what i thought was going to happen the what that's because that's because smash i don't know
0: <laughs> that doesn't count all roads lead to ip yeah. the amiibos have nintendo. always
2: been like weirdly neglected oh nintendo
3: like, nintendo implemented something that got weirdly neglected <laughs>
0: Yeah, I know what a surprise. It, like online multiplayer and experience. <laughs>
3: the, remember the vitality sensor?
2: No. <laughs> no. Exactly. I, I remember. I don't even remember what console that was. Wii. That was for the Wii. That was for the Wii? Yeah. What? Jeez, I, I thought it was gonna be like DSI or something. I'm like They showed didn't... it.
1: They showed it at E3 and then it just never came to fruition. <laughs>
3: yeah oh yeah but the reason why this game uses nfc stuff is that actually there's like a bunch of nfc based ultraman stuff in japan and so like some of that stuff actually will get i'm pretty sure i haven't actually verified this but it should give you like the same stuff like if you put like you know some kind of nfc figure that has a you know a Savenger on it. You'll get a Savenger in-game.
2: <laughs> is this Ultraman universe like really popular in Japan? Or something? It's extremely popular in Japan. This, like, I... I this Ultraman I, is like the original Japanese superhero. I kind of, like, w- have to wonder if maybe this is just sort of like a... like, just a shameless cash-in. I wouldn't say it's shameless
3: because, like I said, I do think that they did... They did a... Again, I can't I can't, like, be an expert on this, but it feels like
2: they, uh, you know, did things authentically. Kind of a rushed cash-in, maybe. I mean, the performance especially sound like the game just got rushed out the door. Yeah, it's like, you know, a niche thing. Like, Monster
3: Rancher itself has also always been a lot more popular in Japan than any other part of the world. So... This, like I said, this makes complete sense why they did this. I'm just worried that they might continue to go down this route instead of making f- proper-ass Monster Rancher games. Come on, man. Common Rancher. That, <laughs> that's, just po- that's just Pokemon now. They're putting you on a motorcycle. <laughs> Pokemon <laughs> they, they, Rancher. They oh, decided no. to, decide to be like, okay, Common Rider and Yu-Gi-Oh! 5Ds, that's our inspiration for this gen.
0: <laughs> okay. small small tangent here uh about nintendo their origins and this amiibo thing so amiibos if i'm correct basically run off nfc here right yeah so my question is if nintendo started as a trading card company why did they not make a a trading card amiibos like official they did they did animal there's a whole set
2: of animal crossing uh, amiibo cards actually they were making and, cards even before that because they had a literal card reader for the gba that yeah. was i think magnetic yeah. stripe.
1: and I, I believe if you got a launch copy they've been, of, tr-
2: they've been trying you just haven't been buying
1: yeah i think and i think if you got a launch <laughs> copy of pokken you got a shadow Mewtwo amiibo card which would just allow you to use him early in the game because if you beat it, you just unlock him, anyways. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> My mind has been blown. Yeah. Now, go back to their roots. Uh, make some uh, NFC uh, Hanafuda cards. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> so okay, that's that's mostly what I have to say about Ultra Kaju Monster Rancher. So I think if you like. If you like Ultraman, I think this is a good... I think you should buy this game, just because it'll expose you to Monster Rancher as well. Um, And it seems alright. If you like Monster Rancher, you'll probably like this game. uh, If you're more patient than I am, basically. I don't know, I'm getting cranky and impatient in my my (laughs) older age here. (laughs) Older age, I'm 31. Uh, Where, like... I've always considered myself a very patient person, but l- lately these days, when it comes to entertainment, I'm, I'm getting really impatient about stuff now. Uh, but uh so well, one,
2: I mean, companies should just be releasing releasing like polished products. Yes, they should. That's like, but that, but that's, I guarantee this game money. wasn't
3: given a budget. <laughs> like the most, like the one and two uh, re- remakes was. They've got so many things wrong with them in terms of uh, polishing up that they could have done that they just didn't. Like, I can find... Uh, if I hit random, I can find monsters that are uploaded with uh, Japanese characters in the name, but there is literally zero way for me to search for monsters using Japanese characters. I have to search via a like alphanumeric key that I ha- would have to get from the person who uploaded the monster. So there's just uh. weird stuff like that where... They're, they just didn't try, and like they put in text. And en- this is just me ranting about Monster Rancher One, Two DX now. But they put in like typing text entry when you're in the shrine to generate monsters. So you can only type in using your keyboard. You can't like navigate around uh, a uh, thing to choose characters. But online, you can only navigate around things to choose characters. You can't type in like the names (laughs) of monsters that you're trying to find so it's just a complete shit show that's going on over there like they clearly maybe there's a couple passionate people over there that care about this but with the scope that they're setting out with how many you know models and kaiju that they had to make for this game clearly they need more passionate people on staff and a budget (laughs) because it it just doesn't work for me but uh, that's a getting, pro- that's
2: partially a me problem. We, we got to get those uh, AI generated 3D models, College. unlimited art assets. That's, that's there, there. we go. <laughs> Again,
3: like I don't want to like be too negative here because a fair amount of people do like this, and this is a niche franchise that I believe in. Voting with my dollars, so I bought the damn thing. Uh, but IGN Japan gave it a 10 out of 10. I don't know why. <laughs> But again, IGN. that just goes to show you that, you
2: know. IGN hasn't been reliable Japan for just, a very long time.
3: Japan's just built different. <laughs> they they like they like those mechanics that I do. Uh, so uh this did want me to explore a bit of a tangential topic, which is um you know, sequels and spiritual successors, like what should they do? And like examples of good ones, because there's plenty of spiritual successors that fall flat on their ass. The biggest example I can think of is mighty number no. nine. <laughs> Ukulele.
2: Oh yeah. I forgot about mighty number no. nine.
3: Yeah. That's because, um, that game was, that game looked awful. It looked so bad. <laughs> uh, and they, they did themselves no favors with the marketing for that game. Like, that's just a game that just, like, didn't... That just didn't work. I think
1: the game had an achievement for watching the backer credits, and it's, like, four hours to go through those credits.
0: Oh, my God. What? That's achievement-worthy.
1: I I, I tuned in briefly towards the end. Uh, A streamer I watched was getting that achievement. So it was pretty much just a just-chatting stream as the credits were rolling. Oh, no. (laughs) Four hours.
3: Yeah, but I'm trying to think of, like, spiritual successors that have done it right. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit because, like, spiritual, it's a bit odd when, you know, we as an audience consider something to be a spiritual successor versus perhaps, like, developer intent for something to be a spiritual successor. For example, would you consider Wipeout to be a spiritual, spiritual successor to F-Zero? Like me, maybe, but I don't know if the developers intended for that,
1: or know, if they just
3: intended it for, to be a fast racer franchise for PlayStation platforms, right?
2: I mean, given that those were kind of like the Wipeout series and F-Zero were almost concurrent for yeah. a time, like I don't see, I see them. So almost probably not, I, right? I see them. Almost, I see them more as competitors than like yeah. spiritual successor. But then you got something like, uh,
3: what's uh, Fast RX? I believe that Uh-oh. game's called. I know it's called Fast. I don't yeah. remember the uh, letters after it. But that's clearly a spiritual successor to those games.
1: It, it's it's had two different names because they changed the name for the Switch version from the ah, Wii, okay. Wii U version. I think it's Fast Racing Neo now. Hmm. It, yeah, there's Fast RMX and Fast Racing Neo. I RMX, forget which, okay. is which. I was close. <laughs>
3: Uh but yeah, like like this is the thing, like Ultra Kaiju Monster Rancher I think is actually like pretty a pretty good spiritual successor and that it does a lot of the stuff that the old game did with a few different spins on it, which is what I like to see out of a spiritual successor. Whereas games that just kinda crib aesthetic uh, and don't really understand what that original game d- did so well, like uh, Mighty Number no. Nine, for example,
2: uh not so much. And the other thing is, like, I feel like sometimes, too, you can have a game that's kind of like a spiritual successor that isn't that that's actually still innovating. Um, and the game that comes to my mind and a game I think that, you know, is quite good is Shovel Knight. And the developers of Shovel Knight were very explicit that it was based on things like Mega Man for the NESs. They made an entire uh,
3: game around the uh downstab in Zelda Two,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah, they made I mean, like in some ways, the game's really about that whole mechanic, uh, but a lot of it's also really harkening back to that that style of platforming, and it's it's obviously different, it's not a mega man game, you don't shoot really. Like you yeah. just the magic abilities kind of carry. Well that's what or... I'm saying
3: about Zelda 2, because Zelda 2 also had, you know, town sections and you know action second action sections. So
2: Yeah, I guess it's kind of yeah. In some ways it's more of like uh like a spiritual success uh spiritual successor to like side scrolling NES games as a yeah. class. Yeah,
3: like it's it's a genre game more than like a franchise successor.
2: Yeah, yeah. But at the same, but, you know, I mainly I just pointed out because like the developers were also very clear that they're in this sort of uh, game tradition, so, sort of speak, and and they considered it that way. And even there were like li- decisions decisions around like trying to limit themselves to what the NES hardware could do that we've discussed before. And they ended up actually... Cheating up a little on, bit, but <laughs> they 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 fudged it a little bit to make the game play better and look yeah. better, uh which I think is the right move totally like yeah. they used they used the limitation to get w- it, it, where they wanted to go and then realized that the artificial limitation was actually holding them back in a way that they didn't need anymore so mm-hmm. uh yeah, and uh yeah other other like spiritual successor done right. Yeah, I had a way harder time thinking of these than I thought I would, actually. So, like, the the closest thing that comes to my mind is Wargroove. And Wargro- Wargroove is clearly an advanced yeah. Wars game. Yes, that's, that's a very good example. I think that it, I think it was actually kind of cool in that it did try some new things that I think work interesting, like with the sort of uh, the crits, where different units have different um, crits that activate in... Like and they're not random crits; they're based on like sort of positional things on the battlefield, which is actually an interesting idea. Uh, and it's an idea that Advance Wars had never, I think, done even anything remotely like that before.
0: Nope. Uh, so, uh,
2: but a lot of what the game did was exactly the same. Uh, yes. Which is which is which is fine, right? I mean, it feels like an Advance Wars game. It is a spiritual successor to Advance Wars, and I think this is where the term spiritual successor sort of like becomes more relevant is that it's often used because the, the original franchise is just kind of dead. Yep. And I mean, I know that there's that advance wars one and two remake thing, maybe coming out eventually. Uh, but war came out at a time when the series was completely dead in the water. Yeah. When well, that wasn't and, even announced yet. So. And that wasn't even announced yet. And Nintendo had never said anything about it for like five years or Longer. seven, years, <laughs> seven, 10. Yeah. I don't know. Because before uh, that, before we like before the I suppose even today, the last Advance Wars game was just Advance Wars uh, Days of Ruin on the DS. So yeah. that was a while ago.
3: That was two uh, Nintendo
2: uh, Internet store closings ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like I think what a spiritual successor needs to do right is that it needs to feel like the thing. That it's that it's that it's doing and th- that it's trying to succeed. I guess not right? not like
3: even just that it doesn't need to feel like it. It needs to feel how like you remember it is more yeah. what it has to do. I think because you know go back and play Advanced Wars One. It's uh, there's some things about it that, aren't, that aren't that aren't great. Like, the newer the newer units introduced in the next couple of games really helped balance it out a lot more and some of the maps were pretty pretty jank
2: yeah oh and the, well, and the co mean,
3: balance was extremely jank
2: i mean you know if you go back and play i know Advance wars is the only sort of series available in north american releases but i've gone back and played some of the japanese uh like famicom wars games <sighs> and oh man those are rough uh, yeah, the balance is the balance is brutal in those games. Like, it's really, really bad um, compared to the newer, newer releases. Uh, but at the same time, they also had some interesting ideas. Like the one weird thing that was sort of. Uh, I think in Super Famicom Wars, they had this like pipeline. They had the train. The, yeah, yeah, the train. That thing was weird because it was. It was expensive but it was busted as it was busted as hell uh like it was just a super long range super heavy hitting artillery unit but just was like it could only move on the tracks so and they brought that back with the pipe runners yeah the pipe runners weren't as bad though like i I think the pipe runners were not so broken
3: unless there was a map where they specifically could you know hang out a spot where they could be melee attacked like if anyway, you if you messed up the pipes,
2: <laughs> making custom maps, you can make pipe arrows completely OP. But yeah, like I think I think the ideal spiritual successor, though, also also does innovate in some way, mm-hmm. because if you just make the same thing as what was made before, it's. Mo- it, it's mostly just not going to actually end up being that good, because I find a lot of the time. We, a lot of things that are quote-unquote spiritual successors, like, they often lose, they often miss some of the sort of, I don't know, like, there's something missing in the, especially when it's, like, a totally different sort of setting or something like that. Like, I, I find it's, it's very common that it just doesn't feel right. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I wonder if People who, or like, the
0: outcome of a spiritual successor depends on how. What's the word that I'm thinking of? Not extreme, but uh, how tunnel vision people have on um, whatever it is they're trying to channel—the spirit of the game, the mechanics—and I think that if, if you know, and and, and even just you know, lack of innovation. Um like wargroove was an um, it, it is an amazing uh, spiritual successor in my opinion because it felt well balanced it felt like you know um they're bringing all these amazing elements uh into the new game they're doing some innovations but they haven't they haven't forsaken anything from before at the expense of you know trying to do something really brand new or you know um whatever crazy twist that a lot of, developers seem to try and and
2: put actually i think in 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 one in some ways actually wargroove uh i think balanced the naval combat a bit better in that it's it's more affordable and actually makes it a lot more interesting and usable and they also you know put in the uh uh properties in
3: water Uh, which made you have to care about naval in some situations where there's plenty of advanced force maps that if there was air as well as naval, I just didn't care all that much about naval. It's like, I'll just build a bunch of bombers and that will be
2: better. Yeah, yeah like, they had, like they had some really, they had some actually like really good ideas in Wargroove to fix some of the problems. And I think that's one of the biggest failure modes. If you're trying to make a spiritual successor is that you can get stuck, like you're saying, in tunnel vision of like, oh, this was the game. This was what it was. But the thing is that um, most games have problems. Uh, Even the games that are widely considered, you know, really good often have problems. Yeah, Um, like, you know,
3: I've talked about, you know, Visteria Saga in the past. That's as spiritual a successor as you can get without being slapped with a lawsuit for towards old Fire Emblem games. And they took lessons from those old Fire Emblem games that are bad lessons with like maps that are way too huge animations that are terrible and like a a lot of very finicky things. I just don't think, and you know,
2: old, older, uh, more punishing game design. I don't think works. Yeah. And the other, yeah. And the other thing is like in some, in some genres, like the genre has kind of moved on and, I think if you fail to take into account how the genre has moved on and why it moved in that direction, you're probably not gonna do very well. Yeah. Like tactics games in general have gotten a less, less punishing. Um, whether that's good or bad, that's the way that yeah. the genre has moved. And if you try to make it like brutally punishing tactics game, people probably aren't going to buy it. <laughs> Well, not that that's. Or, or it's not even going to be good. I don't know. Or fun. Yeah, that's Whatever. the thing. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, but. And then there's also the question of just like straight up what should a sequel do? Like, there's such a fine line with the sequel having to, you know, stick to what the original game was versus make it fresh enough that it's actually interesting, where, you know. I. In some ways, like I get why there's a lot of sequels that don't change enough. I pine for the days of the NES sequel, that's just com- almost completely different from the base game, but still Zelda somehow, 2. yeah, but still somehow t- keeps some core elements of it still. Zelda two. Zelda two is, is like yeah. one of the biggest examples, obviously, but like Castle Castlevania uh, two, Simon's Quest, like that. That started having, you know, the you know, Metroidvania-esque gameplay where, you know, you moved around this big map, this big world, and, you know, backtracked in some cases to do things that you didn't do previously. And the first Castlevania game was a straightforward action platformer, and the Castlevania 3 and 4 were straightforward action platformers. So, uh, like, some of that stuff I kind of wish was still a thing, but you just don't get that nowadays. And
1: you don't get Mario 2s anymore.
3: I mean, that's. Well, <laughs> no, here's the thing. You get actual Mario 2s. <laughs> you, you get the lost levels instead of getting a reskin Doki Doki Panic. Oh, we I wouldn't want have a reskin Doki Doki Panic.
2: We wouldn't have the Bob omb or Bardo. I know. Doki Doki or Panic. Snippets that's so weird. Yeah, uh,
3: Sniffits needs to show up more. They don't show up enough. I love Sniffits
2: yeah but and then you get stuff like you know one actually go ahead alex actually you know what's funny just talking about the mario series like nintendo actually is just like constantly trying to reinvent their enemies like they have they actually have a pretty deep like back catalog of enemies that they've had and they keep trying to make new ones
3: and like maybe that's good i don't know some of them make sense, but some of them just kind of suck. Some of them seem kind of lame. That's that's one of the main reasons why I don't like Super Mario World. I thought a lot of the enemies sucked. But, again, that's a me problem. Uh, but, like... A, a kind of a weird example of, like, sequel stuff is... The jump between Final Fantasy Tactics and Final Fantasy Tactics Advance... Uh, Advance is a very different game than the first one the f- in like so many different ways uh, where the first one is this like socio-political slash religious epic of tale of backstabbing and uh, a ton of different themes going on that's uh, you know dark and gritty and well, I wouldn't say dark and gritty I mean people get stabbed <laughs> but uh, it's it, it's medieval Let's call it that. <laughs> Medieval fantasy uh, with like some pretty deep mechanics and a lot of weird stuff going on. Final Fantasy Tactics Advanced is an isekai. <laughs> it's a it's about a group of a group of what look also look like elementary school kids, not even high school kids, getting sucked into a book that takes them to a, the Final Fantasy world.
1: <laughs> and here, this whole time, I thought Final Fantasy Tactics Advanced was just a port to the no. Game Boy Advance of Final Fantasy Tactics. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's
3: very different. And they and they made a lot of mechanical changes that I think were, like, really bad. But then, from there, you had Final Fantasy Tactics Advance 2, which doesn't... that They pulled Advance Wars with it, where they made a game with Advance in the title for the DS, uh, which that one did pretty much the same thing, but refined its mechanics in a way that's actually a much better game. So they kind of did two... They did, like, the weird, like... They did the Nest sequel and then the traditional sequel. Um, but yeah, Final Fantasy is actually one of those series that I think does sequels really, really well because they change a ton each time. Each game in the mainline series takes place in an entirely different uh, realm, entirely different world. They have to do their own set of world building, but they have these constants, these keystones that you can return to, like, you know, Chocobo, and the magic system, and all that stuff. Mugles. Yeah, Moogles, Catar. which have gotten Con more Mary. and more annoying as time has gone on. <laughs> as they've gotten more and more mascot character-y. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, sequels the other way around, I guess, where it's incremental progress, I guess are fine. Like, I think about, you know, Gears 1 to Gears 2 to Gears 3. Now, like, Gears 2 introduced the Horde mode, Gears 3 perfected Horde mode. And, like, they... The the campaigns for all those games are, you know, really similar in terms of mechanics. Like, not a ton changed, just, like, a little bit more weapons, a little more impressive set pieces and stuff like that. But the, that's a reasonably solid set of sequels in the modern age, I guess. Can't speak for four and five though. Not this time. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they pulled a reboot, so I, mean, I have yeah, no idea like, what that's going to be. It was probably gonna play like, the exact same as those other games. Yep.
2: <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, making sequels in general, there's this tension between, you know, if you don't change the game enough, you're just making the same game with different levels. And if you change too much, uh eh, you have a pretty good chance of just making a crappy game. Yeah. Like, and like, I, there is no series I can think of that is exemplified this more than Sonic. <laughs> okay. I, I love, okay. I want to be clear. I, I, I love the 2d Sonic games, but they are all basically just level packs. Like the, the, the 2d Sonic game formula is pretty much exactly the same in every one. Maybe <laughs> like, Oh, you can play as knuckles in one of them. That's, that's cool. That's different. That's not a lot. That's not that much different. <laughs> um so the 2D Sonic games are all like very very similar and that's fine. I like it. I like the formula, but like it's it's not even like Sonic Mania. It's it's the same formula, right? Um there were some games on the DS like Sonic Rush. Same formula. It's the same formula. It's the same game. Uh the boss fights were 3D in that one, which was kind of weird and okay, but uh, but then you have the 3D Sonic games, uh, which have never been able to actually uh, they they've done so many different things, uh, but they're almost all bad. Like, they, yeah, you got, you know,
3: Sonic and the Black Knight. Sonic got, is a real human girl. You got, <laughs>
2: so, yeah, yeah you've, yeah. you've got Sonic. You've got Persian Sonic in the desert for some reason. There's got. there's Jurassic Park. The, the Sonic with dinosaurs. You got CG I, cartoon tie in Sonic. <laughs> um, but also like, you know, and then they've got like the, They've got the Sonic Heroes game where they're like, yeah, you got to play three characters at the same time and switch between them for some reason. Um, we didn't. Oh, yeah. Werewolf. You can be a werewolf. where Sonic. Werehog. 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 Like, they can't figure out. Like they can't they can't figure out what works and what doesn't because they change way too much every single time. And from, (laughs) Oh God, even, even the games that like, even like the closest I think they've gotten, I don't know. Apparently there was like a recent one that was people say is better, but I think Sonic colors was sort of one of the better 3d Sonics. And it's because they basically just stopped fucking around with it and tried to do just, Oh, 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 there's also Shadow the Hedgehog where they're like, yeah, he's yeah. going to get a gun. He's, we're going to give him a gun. Like, why? Because it's edgy, man. Oh, the gun was so stupid. It wasn't. It was actually worse. Like, it's it's the complete opposite of what the game play is supposed to be. Because the, the best 3D Sonic game gameplay has been when they basically tri- tri- just stripped it down and be like, OK, we're, we're not going to like do weird sword play we're not we're not gonna do weird like robot like janky third person shooter we're just gonna have the hedgehog sonic or shadow like sonic adventure 2 battle that game the levels that are just sonic and shadow where they're like okay just go through the level as a hedgehog run around click coins jump on jump jump on enemies nothing weird nothing crazy pretty pretty simple actually uh that was like widely what most people think was the best and then the the probably best game of the 3d sonics is sonic colors where that's what the game was it was just they didn't they didn't do all this weird stuff and then for some for some reason they just keep like doing too many weird things and adding too many like strange mechanics and like strange settings and just strange design decisions everywhere all the time Hearing Matt describe what Sonic Frontiers
3: apparently is to me in the car the other day was I pretty know fun. About it.
2: I know nothing about it. What gimme gimme uh, I have been, give me, I've, I've give me been watching a friend play it
1: and I actually kinda wanna check it out. He's probably gonna Steam share with me so I can uh try it out at some point. But so all the promotional material, everyone was kinda kinda comparing it to oh it's Sonic's Breath of the Wild. But it's so much more than that. It's Sonic Breath of the Wild Shadow of the Colossus. Uh, um Platinum Action Game.
2: <laughs> Metal okay, Gear Rising Shadow Revengeance. That are, that Colossus. sounds like that sounds like too many things. Well, so- also, Sonic
3: Sonic's very a very deep character. Okay, you know? even you need all I, these mechanics I, to bring out the true
2: nature of the blue hedgehog in the Jim Carrey yeah. movie. I know nothing. I know nothing about (laughs) Sonic Frontiers. But what I will say is that that is, yet again, another dramatic change in style uh, in the 3D Sonic games. They just can't make, like, the same game twice at all. And it's mostly been for the worse.
1: I I know some people who would disagree. Yeah. But that actually brings up a uh, spiritual successor I thought of. Um... That's actually pretty well received. And that's uh, Freedom Planet. Mm. Yep. Which is a spiritual successor to those classic 2D Sonic games that came out in that window between Sonic 4 and Mania. That's a long window, in
3: fairness. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And I think they actually just put out a
3: sequel this year. Well, there you go. Did it change too much? Did it change too little? Or did it Goldilocks it? We don't uh,
1: know. I'm, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure, but Steam reviews are overwhelmingly positive.
2: For all that's worth. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well. They look like they look the Pokemon, the bosses of the look Pokemon. Pokemon. The bosses look Pokemon. like Pokemon. I'm just looking at the I'm just looking at screenshots on Steam and the bosses just look like legendary Pokemon specifically. Like there's, 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 there's definitely like a ground Rayquaza. Ground Rayquaza. Yeah, dude. It's just like, it's just like smooth, like green, kind of like has a jewel on its head. But it's got feet.
0: On Quaza? R- R- Rayquonics? There's <laughs> a,
2: there's, there's a legendary bird. Yeah. Anyway. Uh,
3: Multicudres? Mold- <laughs>
2: <laughs> more like mult mul- mul- more like multro.
0: Is there a butter Pokemon? Can I can I have this legendary bird? Uh, oh, we can put that with the we dinner? can put
3: that with the bread Pokemon that's in the next generation.
2: <laughs> is there actually a bread Pokemon? Its <laughs> description is
3: disgusting. <laughs> His breath contains yeast. <laughs> Oh okay <laughs> <laughs> all right well <laughs> all right I think that I think it's time to wrap up here uh yep, if you're interested in getting into contact with us uh as always you can email us at three levels deep at outlook dot com or if you're watching this on youtube, leave a comment uh you can also dm us on twitter for however long that ends up staying up
0: (laughs) (laughs) and when twitter's gone you can try screaming into the void and if you yell loud enough we might be able to hear you light being the key word (laughs) there's a there's a non-zero chance that we might hear you
2: i will guarantee that screaming into the void will be a better experience than twitter though
0: yeah
2: What are you talking about? I thought I thought
3: uh, posting on Twitter was screaming into the void. <laughs> oh no! Digital is void. He, is Elon gonna buy the void next? Oh no! <laughs> like I purchased the void of the endless vastness of space, and I'm making I mean, it worse.
2: <laughs> what do you think all those rockets are for? Shit! Oh no! Where's is he going? Like where's he? Where's he going? The void. Oh.
3: <laughs> all right. Well. Yeah, as always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you another time, time, time.